Amen. Church family, what a beautiful reminder. I'm praying that we can all thank Jesus for his blood, the blood that has been applied today. Um, Sometimes I wonder what I'll say when I meet Jesus face to face for the first time. And I have lots of different thoughts. Somebody should write a song about it called I Can Only Imagine, just see where it goes. But I uh, really um, sometimes, and I'm, I don't know, I sang pretty loud that time, so I might lose my voice a little bit today. But I think that might be one of my phrases, you know, if the Lord were to say, hey, Danny. And I don't know how exactly all that's going to go down, but you coming in to know that maybe the first phrase off my mouth might be, it's because of the blood. I'm covered by his blood, and I want all of us to be covered by that this morning. It's a weird thing to say. I mean, we don't, blood, you know, but to know that without the blood of Jesus Christ, you know, we'd be, um, we'd be in a very different place. So my prayer today is that the Lord would use his word to speak to you and remind you of who you are in him. Um, I was thinking just a little bit ago about this passage. I referenced it in first service. I'm going to read some of this this service from Daniel chapter 3. It's not on the screen or anything. There's these three guys. We're getting into John chapter 2 in just a little bit. There's these three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king had sent down some edicts, and they were just struggling with them. They weren't struggling. Everybody else was struggling with them. And the king built this fiery furnace. He's like, look, y'all, if this was me, this is how he would have said it. Look, y'all, if you don't get this stuff straightened out. I'm going to throw you in the furnace. And they're just like, no, nah, we're, not, we're not doing that. And then it comes to this passage. And it, I don't know, I just opened up and looked through it just, just a little bit ago. As they're getting ready to be thrown into a fiery furnace. This is not the sermon. This is just separate. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. That's a good word. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able. He is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hands. You catch that there? He is able to deliver us out of this fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand. God is able to do whatever God chooses to do. But y'all, as we open this conversation about miracles for the next few weeks, we're going to trust in the miracle working power of God. He can do all things and things that we can't explain. But before we get into any of that, I want all of us to know that he is going to, already has redeemed and delivered all of us unto himself because of his love for us. He is able and he will. Um, My prayer is as we get into this passage, it's in John chapter 2. It's about wine. So if you brought your wine this morning, you're in good company. (laughs) Um, A fun story, and she's not here this service, so I can say it. She was here last service. Um, I had a sweet grandmother uh, visit. I don't know. We were back in the high school, and we do communion every week at Lake Point. And uh, this this young lady was raised a Catholic, devout Catholic in the Northeast her whole life. So it came time for communion. She took it, and on the way out the door, she said, Father... (laughs) I'm like, yeah, you're not from around here. I was like, all right. Yeah. I was like, yes, ma'am. No, she said, Father. And they said, you don't call him Father. Just call him Danny. So, all right, Danny. So that, that was the sweetest wine I've ever had for communion. And I was like, well, Welch's makes a mean bottle. You know what I mean? Like, pretty good. Sweet. But um, we're going to be talking about Jesus' first miracle here in just a little bit where he turned water into wine. And 
and I pray it speaks to you. Uh, miracles, what are they? I would say that miracles are extraordinary events that are manifested in divine intervention in human affairs. Extraordinary events that are manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. What does that mean? Something we can't do on our own. All right, it's a movement of God. If you see anybody, and this is just Danny here, you can quote me to him, I'm not afraid at all. If you see anybody that's performing miracles for money or to put their self on a billboard or on a YouTube video to show the world how cool they are, hear this, I do not believe that is of the Lord. All right? For the Lord, I believe, wants recognition for himself for every miracle that is performed. So, how do we go about miracles in a daily world? Y'all have prayed with some in this room, some online, in our church family for miracles over the last year. And I trust and believe that the Lord can do all things. I was reading in Mark's gospel, chapter 2, this last week, and Jesus said he walked into his hometown, which is always the most difficult place to do stuff because people knew him from back in the day. And he was Jesus, so there wasn't a lot of dirt. But if you're having a hard time in your hometown, Jesus did too. So Jesus is in his hometown, and he says at the end of Mark chapter 2, he's like, y'all, I can only perform a couple of miracles. I laid my hand on a couple of folks. I, I can't perform as many miracles because of the unbelief in this place. And the next line really struck me where Jesus says, the end of Mark chapter 2, he says, he was amazed at their unbelief. And I had to ask the Lord. I was like, Lord, is there any area of my life or in my town or in our church where there's an unbelief where we're saying we're just not going to believe that the Lord can do that? Because when we believe, y'all, I believe he chooses to move. How do we balance that? Just really briefly before we get into the passage, there have been other times this last year, we have, there have been two, two types of things, multiple times where we have prayed in this room, in hospitals and in different places for absolute miracles. And we've laid out exactly what we asked of the Lord. Lord, would you please heal? Would you please, please deliver? Would you please give a breakthrough in this moment? And y'all, you can't make this stuff up. Many times we walk out of here going, I don't know what just happened, but it's not about like something, something miraculous. But there have been other times where we have gathered and we have prayed and we have asked of the Lord to do something specific. And it has not ended up the way we thought that it would. So we have to wrestle with that a little bit and say, Lord, how do we continue to trust you as a miracle worker when the miracles don't always work out the way we think they will or they should? One, I struggle with some of those very things. Two, I'm reminded of a guy named Tony Evans who at his mother's funeral a couple of years ago said that he and his family had gathered around to pray for divine healing over her. And they prayed for the spirit of the living God to bring healing into her bones and remove the cancer. And they fasted and they wept and they prayed. He said, then the still small whisper of the Lord came into his soul and said, Tony, either she's going to be healed or she's going to be healed. Either she's going to live, or she's going to live. Either I'm going to be with her, or I'm going to be with her. 
So if you're in a season right now where you're praying for a miracle, and there are some in our own church family right now that are praying for miracles, for a divine movement of God, one, we will gather with you and we will pray with you. But two, I commit to standing with you regardless of how we think the outcome is. To walk hand in hand and say, Lord, we're going to continue to trust in you for who you are and claim your name in all of our lives. And there is a time for all of us, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to I think simply say, I don't, got to, I don't have to answer you right now to the enemy, the devil, his demons, anything. I'm not even going to give you a time. I'm just going to claim my faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. If you've got a Bible, open up to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I'm just going to read these and then uh, break down. Uh, one of the points is pretty serious. Two of them are kind of fun. But John chapter 2, um, verses 1 through 11, we're looking at Jesus He's at a wedding. Here we go. It's on the screen as well. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, <laughs> time out, like, all right, like if your mom's talking to you this afternoon, all right, or grandma, or this is Jesus. All right, like don't quote, you can. I wouldn't encourage you to quote Jesus here. Like that's not like don't, we're going to unpack that a little bit. He says, woman, he doesn't say it like that. <laughs> Probably more like woman. Anyway, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And look at mom's response. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Verse 6. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And then they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Verse 9. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, because they can't taste the difference. But that's not in the verse. That's just me. I'm just, that's Danny adding in the scripture. It's sinful. Don't do, no, don't add in the scripture. Just point, period. Verse 11. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. All right. Jesus turning water into wine. Anybody else raised in the Southern Baptist Church in the 1990s? I was. All right. We had some adding into this scripture. You know, like there were some Welch's remarks made here. All right. Two things just to get them out of the way. One, I do. I mean, Jesus turned water into wine. Two, Jesus never got drunk, not one time in his life. Right. Getting drunk is sinful. We're just to make sure everybody's on the same page, like drinking too much wine leads to drunkenness. That's not what Jesus is saying. In Jesus's day, they didn't have Coke machines or sweet tea or Fanta or whatever your drink of choice is. It's carbonated. They also didn't have a lot of money. 90% plus of the people in Jesus's day were praying for their next meal. Not what am I going to buy at the grocery store, but Lord, I need your divine intervention to feed my family. We're that poor. So when you had a wedding like this, it was a big deal. It usually lasted seven to 10 days. Imagine inviting somebody over to your house this afternoon for lunch, right? And then doing that every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for another seven. That's where they, they were camping out. This was a long ordeal where they invite the entire village or community into your home and dance and sing and laugh and drink and eat and be together. So Jesus is here and they run into a problem. First thing I want us to point out this morning, very simple. Jesus had a mom. 
All right, simple point. Jesus had a mom. You might think, well, of course he had a mom. Y'all, there's a lot of other deity type figures, messianic type figures that we've seen throughout human history. As far as I know, this is one of the only ones we've got that has a lot of information about his mom in the passages of Scripture. One lady on the way out earlier said she was raised, this is a true story, this is awesome. She said she was raised in the Northeast um, and her, her family was Jewish that went to a Bible church. So like had the devout Jewishness with the devout like apostolic, like with the devout belief in Christedness. So she said she reads this story very well because she said, I had a Jewish mother. So when she came up and said, hey, there's no wine. And Jesus says, woman, he says, it's just my life. She said, that's my childhood being lived out in front of me. And mom just walks away and says, do whatever he says. I don't even care. Like she just goes, she says, that's part of the Jewishness. I'm not belittling. I'm just trying to paint this picture. Y'all, Jesus was real. He was a living, breathing human being. Ate, danced, played, healed, went to church, took naps. He was real. And he had a mom. Her name was Mary. This is Jesus is close to his hometown. His mom, Mary, on earth, his dad's name was Joseph. After Mary conceived of the Holy Spirit and gave birth as a virgin, Mary and Joseph continued then to have children with one another. So Jesus had half-brothers and sisters around him growing up, most of whom, excuse me, as far as I know, all of whom didn't believe he was really Jesus until after the resurrection. He had a hard childhood. I mean, can can we call it like it is? But he had a mom that knew him from day one. I've wondered, how sweet must this wine have tasted? You know, to be the first wine that was ever given on earth that was made by the creator of the universe. I've noticed that Mary said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Did you catch that? So she had this whole encounter, woman, about to get there. And then she says, do whatever he tells you. I want to let everyone here know that I believe if you want to see a miracle a miraculous movement of the Holy Spirit of the living God this week, we need to start by doing what Jesus says to do. She didn't tell Jesus what to do. She just told everybody else to listen to what he was about to tell them to do. She just went to him to report the problem and trusted him for the solution. She didn't go to him and say, hey, give me that recipe we had back in the day from grandma to make new wine. No, she didn't do that. What'd she say? We're out of wine. She went to the problem solver with the problem and trusted him to give a miraculous deliverance. Something happens when we go to the Lord and ask less about the ingredients of how something's going to get done and present more of our whole heart into his throne, before his throne and say, I'm just going to trust you to be the one that can do this. God may not always give us the recipe, but he's always willing to give us new wine. Scripture says he gives new wine and a fresh wineskins. When we don't understand all the details, to me, that's the best time to do exactly what Jesus says. When I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, when I don't know what somebody else is going to say, look at the Scripture, say, Lord, what did Jesus actually do in moments like this and bid our lives around him? One pastor says Jesus is the new wine and some of his best work comes in the midst of our emptiness. So one simple question we can ask under the category, Jesus had a mom. Are you feeling empty today? If you feel as if you're running on fumes, you're too tired, you don't know, you've tried every other ingredient in the book, every recipe, and it's still coming up short. I mean, know that one, you've been prayed over before you walked in. 
But two, know that I believe that God wants to meet you right where you are. The God I serve doesn't tell me to fix my problems and come to him and tell him how it works out. He says, no, you come to me and we'll get through this thing together. Jesus' name is Emmanuel, God with us. As far as we know, this is the first time, as far as I know, this is the first time Jesus calls his mother woman. (laughs) You know, that's just good stuff. To me, when he says woman, I read that as a Southern kid whose mama or memo would have just slapped him in the mouth. You know, like that's just how we roll in the South. Like say it one more time, but see what happens. Like the women in my life are a little stronger, a little more discreet. Like, okay, say that one more time. And then they go in the prayer closet and just bring it down. You're like, no, mom, please. When he was saying woman here, I personally, this is just Danny, believe that Jesus and his mom had a very cool, very special, very unique, very holy relationship. But I also believe that's just me. This is just Danny. I think there's a chance that they might have had some little fun thing. Mama, you know, like that just moms. I'm not a mom. That just moms know when their kids say it. If you're a mom, the Lord has created you for that. Like, that's insane. That's a miracle. You know when your kid comes to you and says something, and you go, okay, that's my, that's my child. So when Jesus says, Mama, he says, what does this have to do with me? He's not belittling her. He's not putting her down. He's genuinely saying, why are you involving me in this? It's not, we're not there yet. But I love it. What does she say? Mm -hmm. Do whatever he says. She just keeps going. She trusts Jesus to make the best decision in the moment. The next time we hear Jesus call his mama, mama, is while he's hanging on the cross. And he looks out in the crowd and he sees Mary. And what does he say? Woman, this is just Danny. I believe in that moment, it was the same sound that he said here at a wedding. You ever been to a wedding with your mom or your grandparents? Back if you had them back then or if you still have them. Just those special times when everybody's together and everybody is at least like pretending to get along. You know, like we're doing pretty good and there's music and food and we're like, oh, let's just be in the presence of one another. Mary was with Jesus at a wedding having a blast. The celebrating, the dancing, the singing, the fresh wine. She was also there in in the presence of Jesus in the darkest moments of her life while he was hanging on the cross. Church, Mary didn't tell Jesus what to do in either situation. But she was willing to do what he said in both. Are we willing to do the same? There will be times when I present requests to the Lord in seasons of feast when everything's lining up and I'm like, Lord, if you just add a little bit more to my cup, we'll do a little dance. Like this is just, this couldn't get any better. There are times when I present requests to the Lord in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death itself. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know how to put one foot in front of the other. In both scenarios, he's still Jesus and I'm still me. And he still asks me to submit to who he is and what he chooses to do. To me, one of the greatest things I can get after praying for a miracle for someone else or for myself or a movement of the Lord is when I'm on my knees to remind myself through the Holy Spirit, reminding me, Danny, this is your place as a child who trusts in me. She said to do whatever he said. Second, Jesus went to weddings. I know it's a simple one, but I think it's a fun fact. Jesus went to weddings. He was at this wedding with his mother. As far as we know, Joseph has likely already passed away by this point. His dad had. Jesus was a good man. He was also the son of God. Put all those things together. This joker's not like, it's hard to compare. 
He was doing the right thing, y'all. He had his mother close by caring for her because in that culture, she needed her firstborn son to do that. He's honoring his mother. But he also took her to weddings. And I believe there was dancing and feasting and laughing. Can you imagine what Jesus' laughter sounds like? I loved the picture. I still do. That was hanging over one of my grandmother's fireplaces when I was little. It was Jesus standing at the door knocking. He had long flowy hair and a robe and a sheep, a lamb in his hand. And he looked, I'm not gonna lie, he looked pretty frail. I'm just gonna be honest. Like, he was knocking and he's standing at the door knocking. And I was like, woo, that's, open that door. You know, I mean, as a kid, you're like this, but I'm just, I'm not knocking Jesus. I'm knocking the painting. But I'm saying, y'all, sometimes I need to step back and say, Lord, like Jesus is holy. He's God as he created the universe. He saved the world. And he laughed. He walked in the room and I fully believe lit the room up by his physical being. So much so, I believe that other people in the room were saying, what? Who's this guy? Where's he from? What is he doing? How does he talk like that? I want to be around him. Why? Because he walked in a wedding and said, well, you shouldn't be dancing like that. Now, again, he probably could have, and I bet they would have stopped dancing like that. I'm not going to, but Jesus went to the weddings He laughed, y'all, and one day I believe I'll be able to hear his very laughter in heaven itself. Heaven is described as being a great wedding banquet with food and music and family around a table. As I read that, I thank the Lord that my God is big enough to enjoy his people at wedding ceremonies. Not gonna lie, like during, you know, during the pandemic, some weddings had to be canceled. This is terrible. Have you ever gotten a wedding cancellation? Your first thought is, that's okay. You know, like, I mean, I know you shouldn't say that. I'm not, I've never, I've never said that about any of your weddings, but like some, sometimes you get those. Like, oh, free Saturday. <laughs> Knowing that God wanted us to gather and to celebrate, to dance, to laugh, to hang out, to be the type of people that other people are drawn towards. Jesus says that we are to be like him. Hear this church. The world is not like him. Somebody hear this, but the world's not supposed to be like him. We are. You know what I believe an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable about a believing world? A bunch of church folk, and I'm not talking to anybody specific, maybe myself, that come to church and talk about the joy of the Lord is my strength. Love and joy and peace and patience are going to fill me to the brim. And then walk out of here tweeting and hashtagging and belittling like everybody else that's never met Jesus before. We are to be set apart. Scripture says we are to be holy like he is holy. Is it a cop out to say, well, my mama wasn't holy. Guess what? Nowhere in this book does it say to be like your mama. It says to be like Jesus. And he was holy. And he went to weddings. What does that mean for me and for you? I believe in my life it means that people should. When I walk in a door, I pray that people's first reaction would not be, oh, great, about to get another lecture. Is there anything wrong with having convictions? No, I got convictions. I'm standing on firm foundation. Come anything or hot water, I'm not going to move. And yet Jesus says I'm supposed to be like him and go to weddings and dance. It's not really my thing. Have you ever seen me dance? No. You know why? That's why. Like I don't, but I like to, I'm on I'm game and eat and laugh. Y'all, people were flocking to Jesus because he was performing miracles everywhere he went. Every miracle he starts, after this one, he starts going, please don't tell anybody. Don't Don't say anything. I've got too many people to talk to. I've got too many things. Don't. And what do they do? They immediately go out and tell everybody. Why? Because they're pagans? No. Y'all, I think it's because they couldn't handle what was going on. 
Their lives were completely rocked. And Jesus said, don't tell anybody. Like you tell a little kid, don't tell anybody about this new bicycle. What are they going to do? Okay. And they go ride their bike everywhere. Why? Because they love the bike. Jesus physically, mentally, and spiritually rocked the worlds of everyone he met. I believe, and scripture says, that Jesus never looked into the eyes of anyone that he didn't love. Whether it was, sorry, modern day world, a child, a woman, a leper, a sinner, a prostitute, a drunk, a tax collector, or a king, Jesus treated everyone exactly the same. Why? Because he wanted to be the one that walked in the room and made everyone else go, there's something different. You know why? So he could say, there is something different. And I'm offering it to anybody who chooses to believe. You know why some people, you know why I think some people might have a hard time believing? Because the Christ followers aren't acting like Christ. Be kind to one another. Be kind. Stop sinning. Live a life of joy. How? The world's so broken. Y'all, have we read this? It gets worse. Okay, I know. Like, white picket fence. I've got a fence. I like it. It gets worse. So what does that mean for Christians? It means that now more than ever, we need to be seeking divine intervention in the human capacity. Why? Because we're going to need it day in and day out. Because I want to walk out of this place going, yeah, this thing, whoa, it's a mess. that That thing took a turn. But I trust in a God who is faithful. I know the creator of the universe and he knows my name. I just spent 25 minutes or an hour and a half talking to my Savior for real. And I want you to know him too. Jesus went to weddings. Be like Jesus. Go to weddings. God wants us to gather. And I believe tell other people about who he is by words, by actions, by thoughts, and by appointing other people to him at all times. Third, Jesus' blood brings eternal grace. His blood brings eternal grace. You know, I'm sure this wedding was a blast. And there were people drinking, drinking wine, so much so the wine ran out. Either this family probably, my guess is, didn't have a whole lot of money. There wasn't a whole lot of wine in the reserve. But it would have been a big deal for the wine to run out at a party. Embarrassment to the groom, to his new bride, to the family, to the party. Mary took note of it. Said, Jesus, I'm presenting this to you. So what does Jesus do? He miraculously turns Water into wine. That's cool by itself. It'd have been cool if he had like one cup and was like, nah, here you go. But John doesn't just say one cup. John, who writes about miracles, we're going to be in John's gospel for a little bit. John says that he turned 180 some odd gallons of water into wine. That's a lot of wine. In my mind, it's like the I Love Lucy episode where they're stomping grapes. You know, anyway, that's just what comes to mind. That's a lot of wine. Even for a small village, y'all, it would have taken them a long, lot longer than the rest of the day and maybe one more to consume all of it. So why does John say there were 180 gallons? Because I think it was more than just the miracle of the water to wine. I think Jesus was allowing the world to see that when he entered a scenario, it never runs out. Y'all, I've put my faith in other things that have run out. You ever been there? I've worked alongside and loved people and prayed with people who have put their faith in other institutions or governments or families or marriages or relationships or money or stock markets or housing markets or whatever else. And at some point, all those things tend to come tumbling down in some way or another. So Jesus enters the equation and says, what? No, no, no. Put your faith in me for I'm never going to run out. 180 gallons of wine. 
There's enough grace from Jesus to never run out. There's enough for everyone. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 to 15, the Hebrew writer ties in the law to the grace. And he says, for if the blood of goats and bulls, that's what they're doing in the Old Testament, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification of the flesh, word purification, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from under the transgressions committed under the first covenant. What does that mean? Y'all, if we are called by Jesus Christ and put our faith and hope in him, his blood never runs out. There's always enough grace. What does Jesus say? 70 times seven. Why? He's going to be doing that stuff. You know what the devil wants you to think? He's run out of grace. The devil is going to want you to think right now, somebody is going to want somebody in here to think that why? It's just a bunch of water. And all the while, Jesus says, no, 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 not when he's in the room. There's a time for all of us, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, I'm not even going to talk to you right now. I haven't got time. The Lord's going to get me through this. For when we are covered by the blood, you know, it never runs out. Later in Hebrews 10, he says, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time. Those who are being sanctified. Where there is forgiveness of these, hear this, there is no longer any offering for sin. If you feel that you're doing everything you can to get God's favor or God's blessing or God's love and you just can't do it, you can't say the right words enough, you can't stop doing the bad things enough, you can't stop having those thoughts enough, know this, none of those things make us a Christian in and of themselves. What, does make, what makes us a Christian? Believing in Jesus Christ and repenting of our sins. Belief. He says, if you come to me, if you come under him and who he is, he will love you forever and never abandon or forsaken. His grace never runs out. Charles Spurgeon said, morality may keep you out of jail, but it takes the blood of Jesus Christ to keep you out of hell. Billy Graham said, be assured that there is no sin you have ever committed that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot cleanse. Y'all want somebody to hear that. It wasn't that, it wasn't too bad to keep Jesus from loving you. If there's somebody that's thinking that, I want you to know right now that it's not. He already knows about that thought, that thing, that action. And he loves you in spite of it. Timothy Keller said, religion says, earn your life. Secular society says, create your life. Jesus says, my life for your life. It's interesting to me that Jesus used these jars that were used for ceremonial washings. In the Jewish tradition in his day, before every meal, the Jewish people had to wash their hands thoroughly and wash the feet of every guest that came into their house. They had to have purification jars that held the water to do those things. These purification jars held the water for external cleansing. All right? Another fun thing that I think John was working with, he was using purification jars that focused solely on the external to be allowed to be used by Jesus to turn water into wine, which would then be eventually lifted up in his cup and said, this represents my blood. Something that can only take place on the inside, internally. He said there were six jars, six in the Jewish traditions, a number that represents incomplete, unfinished, and imperfect. 
Could it be that Jesus used six pots instead of seven to stand for all the imperfections of the Jewish law? Jesus came to do away with the imperfections of the law and to put into their place a new wine with the gospel of his grace. One last interesting thing, and then we're going to close out. Moses, when he went before Pharaoh, so remember what his first miracle was? He took that staff and he stuck it down in the water. And what happened to the water? It turned to blood. Moses' first miracle was turning water into blood, which reminded Pharaoh of the judgment of God under the law. And here we have Jesus, his first miracle, turning water into wine, reminding all of us of God's grace that would never run out. I invite you to thank Jesus for his blood today, to thank him for what he's done. Trust him. Trust him when everything in this world says it's not going to work out. I believe that it can. I believe that God can work miracles and still does work miracles. But I also believe that regardless of how the outcome, regardless of the outcome, he's promised to walk with me the whole time. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. If you're in a place in life right now where you are struggling with something and you've been praying or you need somebody else to pray with you in just a little bit, we're going to sing a song. The praise team's going to come up. I invite you to come. Me and my wife will be down front. Sandra's over here. We would love to be able just to have a time just to pray with you. Y'all, James says in his book, James is the half-brother of Jesus, by the way. He says in his book, that when you need a healing, call the elders of the church together, anoint with oil and pray. We believe that. If you are struggling because you prayed for a miracle and it didn't work out the way that you thought that it would, know that many others in this room have experienced things similar to that. And I'm not going to lie to you. I don't have all of those answers. But I do know the voice of the one that has talked to me before, during, and after those prayers. And I promise you that part will change your life. So if you need somebody to pray over you or with you, come forward in just a little bit. We'd love to talk and to pray as we trust in the Lord to do the things that only he can do. For the greatest miracle I know is this truth. God met me before I knew him and introduced himself to me through the Holy Spirit and then invited me into his family I was just a little kid, but all on the way, I've tried to say things like, Lord, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not like those other folks, whatever it is. And all the while, I have had the Lord through the Holy Spirit remind me, but you're mine. What I have done, you're mine. So I hope and pray that we can all share in that same belief. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for doing what only you can do. I thank you for the story in scripture that and we get this beautiful truce of Jesus. I thank you for his mom, for Mary, Lord, for their relationship and just the truth we see about them in that. I thank you for that truth that Jesus did. Man, he went to weddings and danced, and I, I fully believe, Lord, he, he laughed. But Lord, I thank you that you can do things that we can't. Lord, if there's anyone hearing these words right now that is in need of a miracle, I pray. God, like you tell us in Jesus' name, I pray, claim the blood of Christ over that situation or that person or that relationship. Help us as a church family surround one another and love one another and put our trust in you. For Lord, this world is hard. 
I'm thankful, Lord, that in this last year, we have had conversations and prayers where we have seen literal miracles take place. I can't explain them. But Lord, I've sensed your presence and I've seen a movement that is not of this world and I thank you for that. Lord, for other people in this place that have had that, I pray for them. Lord, may we celebrate and share that story and give you all the glory for it. But Lord, I also, and I, it, it's hard, I, there have been other times where we have prayed and sought. And Lord, sometimes that miracle didn't work out the way that we thought that it would. Lord, there's hurt in that. So I pray for anybody that has or is experiencing anything like that, that we would, in the midst of that, still be able to hear your voice that's saying, I am still here. I am still working. I am still delivering. I am still saving. I have not left you. That didn't go the way you thought. Lord, we're trusting in your will and what you want. Jesus himself said that in the garden. He said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. But Lord, to me, those are the times in my life where I need a few other folks to gather around and say, we're going to be here too. If there's anybody in this place that has not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that has never had that first conversation with their Savior, let today be the day they do that. They can do that right where they're sitting and just start, tell them who you are. Introduce yourself to them. Thank them for loving you. Tell them, man, I pray that you believe that Jesus really did come and live a perfect life. He died on the cross for you. He was buried in the grave and he came back on the third day. And right now he is calling your name to take his hand for all of eternity. Lord, if there's anybody that's prayed that or wants to know more about knowing you, I pray the next little bit they would come and share that with me or on the way out the door so we can surround them with love. And Lord, we know as we're about to sing that you are fighting for us. There are things in this world that are trying to keep us from you. So if there is someone in this place that needs someone else to lay a hand or offer a prayer, or just commit to walking alongside, may they come down front or talk to us on the way out as we put our trust in Jesus together. We thank you, Lord, for doing the things that we cannot. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Won't you stand with us, church family?